Hi, I'm Marcus Peter Rempel. And I'm Alana Lewandowski. Welcome to The Ferment. Something good is rising. Back in April 2017, my family and I were still living in Alberta, Canada, and I decided to do a little tour. My, most of my family lives in Manitoba, and uh, like my parents, my sister, and so I decided to do a little tour all the way home to come and visit, and a part of uh, the theme of that tour was to spread the word about how I was launching sort of a new model of the music business on on Patreon. So I was in Saskatchewan. I played in, in uh, Winnipeg at my old community St. Benedict's table and also was invited by, by Marcus to go to Beausager to play at a little old Anglican church in this little town. And so I, I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And part of my motivation... Uh, was to actually go and see uh, Plowshare Community Farm as well because I'm very attracted to living on the land. It's how I grew up. And so I want to have been looking for a way to find just a new way of being on the land. And so so that's how I ended up in Beausager. And this this is a concert that uh, the concert that I did that night. And I think the recording picks up uh, just after I think I had introduced you and and I talked a little bit about being intrigued with this singer who had had was a person of faith who had made it in the mainstream uh, and had had kept her faith very much uh, private personal business uh, and then had walked away from uh, the music biz and and then come back with uh this very this very rich and deep integration of uh of spirituality uh that that maintained a, a kind of openness to the, the to the wider world that i think maybe we don't maybe we don't see all that much uh in in singers and and musicians that that operate uh you know as sort of professional christian or or other uh type of uh professionally spiritual <laughs> musicians um <laughs> And and so that so and I think that that led into kind of a longer introduction from you and then uh, about kind of how, how you got to that place and uh, my, my voice isn't really in this recording I am sitting in the front row and so every now and then uh, when when Alana you say something that really moves me you can kind of hear Marcus Rumpel mooing away uh, in that <laughs> way that I have. <laughs> You're doing. You were doing From, your men, your Mennonite amen. <laughs> yeah. So every now and then there's like a mmm <laughs> that you can just make out. Uh, that's that's me. So uh, anyway, it was a lovely evening, and uh, and I'm happy to share it with folks. So that night, I was mostly playing songs from the album that I call my the Christ narrative, where I begin in like the mystery of origin from like. 13.7 billion years ago up until what that looks like in us and in creation today. So that that album was Behold, I Make All Things New. And then I recorded another album uh, and was, I think it had just been released um, like that, the previous September in 2016. And it was called Sanctuary. And it's got uh, James Finley's spoken word on it. 
And so that's that album was about exploring the healing path. And then I probably made reference to a new album that I was working on, maybe uh, called Point Vierge, Thomas Merton's Journey in Song, which took me uh, a good two years to do all the research and and uh, and then compose and then record. And then I had to work with the Merton Legacy Trust and uh, to get Thomas Merton audio, Dalai Lama audio, and then worked with James Finley again. So, uh, but yeah, that night I was mostly working with the material from Behold, I Make All Things New. So uh, imagine yourself uh, sitting on uh, some hundred-year-old oak, prayer-soaked old pews in a church building that otherwise is hardly ever occupied. And for this one evening in in spring of last year was was filled with with beauty and uh and spirit enjoy for that conference at cmu uh i found myself after years and years of you know signing to record labels and touring internationally and to the point of being feeling quite alienated uh, just in my personal life because I really didn't have one because I was touring all the time. Uh, I found myself on a rooftop in Los Angeles. I was playing a conference there that was a big conference and the Hollywood sign was there and Harvey Weinstein, the big movie producer, was to my left and Craig Coleman, the uh, manager of Lady Gaga, was to my right and I was about to play a concert that night at the Viper Room, which is a very famous room in, in Los Angeles, uh, with half of Sheryl Crow's band and half of the Dixie Chicks band <laughs> as my backing band. And I, I, I did play a pretty rockin' show that night. But there was, there's a moment that I remember uh, where I kind of looked around and uh, I knew that I was not happy. And I knew that I wasn't, I was hungry. Uh, that was a big one. <laughs> and everyone else on that rooftop, except Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> was hungry. <laughs> and uh, sort of pretending to eat their nibblies or whatever. And um, just the emphasis put on the, in, that, in that mainstream industry on image, and particularly with women, was pretty extreme. And, you know, you couldn't work out too much because then you had a sporty body. So, but then you had to, you know, just that whole, that whole thing. So, uh, it had been years already and I was pretty tired and I, I knew that I was kind of done, but I didn't know how to unravel that because my identity was completely, uh, tied up in it. So who was I if I left? This is something I worked with. Lots of people would be disappointed. People that I worked with had deals with, etc. And so it took, I, I had made this sort of internal call, but I didn't know how to do it. So I was just playing, going through the motions, continuing. But then life happened in such a way that I just lost one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, until I had no more, um, I had nothing left for it. <laughs> so that's how it unwound itself. And I found myself 
fixing up a little place that was like a wooden tent in Gimli during the summer and working uh, landscaping. And I hadn't worked a job like for a boss in probably nine or ten years. And then I found myself after that living at the, the, mon the Benedictine monastery for six months, hiding out and um, not, not really knowing what was going to come next. And of course, through all of that, uh, as someone who'd grown up in a, in, in a Christian tradition, and um, that was always a part of it for me. But I was also very vocal <laughs> uh, most of the time that I wasn't going to be playing cheesy Christian music. <laughs> and so I was kind of in the alt-country scene and the folk, and the folk scene, and, um, which I, I still love. But then, so it's kind of funny that you were mentioning this, that you were mentioning this. I don't usually preamble with this much of my story, but I thought it would be fitting tonight to give you some context. Uh, I ended up doing a journey, right? Drove, I drove from Winnipeg to Newfoundland and then drove from Newfoundland to New Orleans and basically spent six months sleeping in the back of my wagon. Uh, my Passat, old Passat wagon and um, hung out with people who loved music but didn't do it for a living. And so that was part of my journey back into um, feeling like I had been sort of betrayed by it or, or something like that, but it really had nothing to do with the music. It was more about the journey of identity and true, true self. And so it just takes some time to unwind that and then uh, not grasp for another false identity right away. And then, uh, so once I arrived in New Orleans, I knew after this big journey of you know being on tall ships and scraping and painting farmhouses and you know all sorts of adventures on that on that trip, I. Uh, I decided I wasn't going to come back to Manitoba, which was also sort of um, like letting go of an identity because at that time, around that time, I could walk down the street and a lot of people knew who I was and that kind of thing. And so kind of going into a new place where there's other, like what I would call local famous people <laughs> or something uh, than me, it was really good for me. And so I, I moved to Alberta, and I ended up meeting Ian about two weeks <laughs> into my move. And I, I started uh, mentoring young songwriters, and I did that for a while. And then I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a one-year-old here. And that also, I think, moving from maidenhood to motherhood was awesome and a long overdue for me. <laughs> so uh, that's my preamble. I ended up attending... I don't know if some of you are familiar with Richard Rohr at all. I attended the inaugural uh, class uh, when, he, when he started and founded the Living School. Some of you are familiar with that in Albuquerque. And that was a two-year program, and it was, there was an integration project that I was asked to do, and everybody had to do one. And I laughed when I like someone suggested music. <laughs> and it turned out that I ended up discerning that that was what I was going to do. So I, I made an album within the Christian 
spiritual context uh, for the first time two years ago at Steve Bell's studio at Signpost in Winnipeg. And, uh, and since then I made another album and I'm working on another one, uh, working with the words of James Finley and Thomas Merton. So I'm kind of in that scene, but it's not a scene for me. It's more, uh, I, I do, I'm doing what I'm drawn to do, which I don't feel like I'm doing what is expected or what I think I ought to anymore. It feels less entitled <laughs> and more authentic. So here I am. <laughs> Bell's studio was uh, called Behold, I Make All Things New, fittingly. <laughs> and uh, I called it a Christ narrative. And by that, I mean I start in uh, sort of using current cosmology and uh, start with creation or the, the Big Bang or when, when spirit or Christ entered matter and we all are here. <laughs> it's quite something. So this is like the advent of, of creation. Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new.
So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm just going to enter into that, that arc that I talked about, this narrative, but I'm going to plug some other stuff in that's not just on that album. And uh, I, I'm going to work with the church calendar. And so that's like, in uh, some, if you look at some church calendars, they actually have a creation piece, uh, like ecology piece in, inside it that kind of gets, um, I don't know, it's been in the last 10 years, I think, that they've actually added that, and it's not official or anything. But I'm going to add something else later that I think is important, and just wait for it. Um, I've been working with the words of Hildegard von Bingen lately. I have this new platform that I'm working on that I hope you'll check out uh, online. It's called Patreon, and it's just patreon.com slash, if you can spell my name, which is uh, Alana Lewandowski. And basically, there's all kinds of really cool things that are happening out there in when people are trying to keep the arts as something that is their profession, but then also sustaining themselves. Because especially with music, a lot of my laptop doesn't have a CD player anymore, and I don't, that's not my main go-to for music. So if I know that that's not mine, it's a lot of people's not, you know. So this, this new platform that I'm working on, I compose, Music, and then I, I get this. I work with this guy who makes song sheets, like lead sheets, and uh, he's a young um, composition graduate. Uh, recently married, he plays piano for ballet, and he does stuff on the side like this, where he'll he'll do he'll create lead sheets that are really great and easy to work with, and so people can go on and spend a dollar per song, and they get the song as an mp3, and they get, the, they get the lead sheet as well. And some people are choosing more than that, but that's kind of the starting point. So if I get 2,000 people to do that, which is my goal, I have my operations, I can make an album whenever I want to, because it's amazing actually what it takes on an operations level to run a, you know, to run a little music business. So, and then I actually can also maybe participating, feeding myself and the kids and stuff like that. Which is always, you know, the extra thing. Because I remember, like, even coming home from tours in the UK and uh, the Netherlands and Germany and, like, saying, hey, can I have some of the squash from your garden? <laughs> you know? So I, I definitely was in it for the long haul back then. And, and still am in it in some ways. But this is a song I composed using Hildegard von Bingen's words but this is the kind of thing you're gonna, you would hear. So I write lots of chants and stuff that people can work with in, you know, in church settings or circles and stuff like that. You were planted in my heart at daybreak on the first day of creation. You were planted. In my heart, you were planted in my heart at daybreak on the first day of creation. You were planted in my heart. 
church calendar and we're going to enter into Advent and uh, the song that I chose on my album Behold I Make All Things New was uh, a Leonard Cohen tune and I mean I don't I don't want to talk too much politics tonight but I thought it was kind of an interesting time he chose to leave us uh, on the day of the U.S. election and uh, I thought man He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and uh, I just, the way I saw it is he just, he left us between hallelujah and you want it darker. <laughs> this is a tune that he wrote. I think uh, the context for it was that uh, his manager of many years uh, basically ripped him off and he walked away with a lot of money and uh Right when he thought he was about to just hide out and drink more wine, <laughs> uh, he ended up doing some of the most spectacular performances of his entire life in his 70s uh, because he had to. And uh, I think this is the context of this piece is where that comes from. But I thought it was also quite an interesting advent song. <laughs> Show me the place where you want 
want your slave to go Show me the place I forgot I don't know Show me the place Where my head is bending low Show me the place Where you want your slave to go Troubles came, so I saved what I could see. A thread of light, a particle away. There were chains, so I hastened to behave. There were chains, so I loved you. to be, they were saying in, in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, that he would be the next Steinbeck. Um, he was, he wrote the book of Beck, which is a trilogy, and anyway, he just found himself drawn to become a minister, and so he became a Presbyterian minister instead of becoming the next Steinbeck. <laughs> but what I find really fascinating about his work is that uh, he took his ability to, his eye for narrative and his eye for story and particularly his eye for character um, and was able to uh, just look at the text in, in, from an author's, with an author's eye. And so that's what made him a, an absolute 
brilliant homilist, as far as I'm concerned. He's in his 90s now. And uh, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Uh, particularly, the next two I'm going to play uh, were inspired by him. Uh, and he wrote three sermons, called the, and, and the trilogy was called The Birth. And I recently heard that uh, this is from the perspective of the shepherds. And the next one's the innkeeper and then the magi. And uh, I recently heard that the shepherds could have been women. And we never really think of that. Uh, but uh, I lived in Turkey when I was 20 for about six months. And I never met one male shepherd the whole time I was there. And I walked, I lived in Assos, and there's a lot of sheep uh, just kind of out in the open. And all of the shepherds that I met were women. So I kind of like to imagine it that way. Because then there's just more women present in general in, in one of the stories. <laughs> Just like any other night Counting sheep Trying to stay upright Shuffling our feet We heard the beat Of an angel's wing An angel's wings And above we saw the strangest thing All at once Our hearts knew what to say Glory Glory Glory
this this one, the innkeeper, is the one I relate to the most. Spend our whole life long waiting for true love to come. We all do. We all do. Looking for our destiny, for our hearts to find a home. We all do. We all do. What am I to say? What have I to prove now that I missed it? I missed it. It was right in front of me, and I told it to move on. There was no room. There was no Stardust. And it's a great little book because it's quite scientific, 
um, in that it implies that human beings are connected to Earth and connected to creation in its entirety and not separate from it. Um, and and so that that's uh, it's still kind of it's also still uh, implies creation, um, but it's sort of this merger and uh, it, it meets in the middle. And it's really neat because it makes it's it brings wonder to science, I guess, uh, which is important to me because I think it's important that we don't just uh, think science is outside of that. I think it can enhance whimsical wonder, <laughs> if anything. And so if, if we can do that, then uh, the, some of the best people I've ever met are scientists who have allowed themselves to be in awe <laughs> of it all. <laughs> so, but uh, the chorus of this kind of, that's where, it, that's how I ended up. Maybe the first verse. brought us here to this young master's door to discover we are stardust one in God forevermore one in God forevermore we are born from above and ever now we part from love we are born from super accurate. So I know that they probably weren't kings, but one of the things I love about how they're portrayed in uh, nativity plays is that small children get to see kings bowing down to a little one. And I just think, let's keep it in there. Who cares if it's accurate? I think it's absolutely profound. <laughs> so... So 
So I, I moved uh, into this next part with um, taking a couple of lines from Jesus, and I wanted to take some lines that were not the ones you see on, on the bumper stickers, and not the ones you see on the billboards, and certainly not on t-shirts and baseball caps and pins. <laughs> and um, maybe if they were, we'd sell like maybe two or something like that <laughs> on a good day for any of us. But this is the melody uh, by written by a fellow named Lynn Bowman. Leave all things that you have and come and follow me. Leave all things that you have and come and follow me. Leave all things that you have and come and follow me. you. And the Father 
actually, I, I actually put, uh, after this, I believe in the, in the album, I did my own version of He Who Watches Over You. I'm not going to play it. I really loved I was wishing I had my phone so I could film that. It was very special to me. Uh, I wrote that song in the, in the wooden tent in Gimli. <laughs> um, so uh, I've, I've been connected for off and on for many years to St. Benedict's Table in Winnipeg. And, uh, and I was known for quite a few years as the Good Friday girl there. Uh, because I always did the Good Friday service with Jamie and uh, the, the priest there, and I uh, always found it easier being the pensive artist, you know, the filtration system for the world's crap, <laughs> or whatever, uh, to sort of address like Lent and Good Friday and all of that, and I certainly wasn't going anywhere near Easter for a really long time. Partly because uh, it, in, the, in the church calendar, we, we withhold from singing hallelujah through the 40 days of Lent, and then Good Friday and Holy Saturday, and then, we, and then it really brings, it pops on Sunday in a big way, sort of the way, um, you know, negative space where the shadow creates the shape in, in art. That's kind of how I see it. Um, but I, I hadn't really found my hallelujah <laughs> as a professing Christian through it all, uh, through my, my whole life. Uh, someone who never said I'm not. Um, that's saying something, I guess. Uh, and in, in my case, it wasn't just the, you know, growing up with up. Oh, from the grave he arose, or something like that. Um, but it was more than that. And uh, I'll, I'll lead into that. I'm going to play a Good Friday tune and play a Holy Saturday tune. And then I'll explain a little bit about how I found, found my hallelujah. <laughs> Changed it up. Um, this is sort of significant. I used to play it and drop D in D. And now I think I'm playing it in, I think I'm playing it in A or something. And what's significant about that is I really found a lot of identity in my fluttery high voice. And, and I'm sort of playing around with the, like the, my full range and just letting myself just relax. <laughs> It is dark, I can't see. Cry out 
lived in, at All Saints Church and fixed up the apartment there where St. Benedict's table is, uh, is held. And um, I took over a job from this, this fella that had lived there for 25 years and kind of showed up behind you whenever you're walking down hallways and things. And I, did, I walked the, the rounds and had to go down all these hallways to check and see if anybody from Agape Table community, which is a soup kitchen, was somewhere in the hallways. <laughs> and um, 
And uh, I wrote this there. <laughs> but uh, on Easter weekend, I had this really strange perspective when I was living there. And I, I walked around, a friend of mine asked me to go to the Bella Vista where I used to play a lot on the weekends. And I went there and there was a reggae band playing, lots of sort of gospel stu type stuff. And then we walked out of there and there was that uh, Eastern European, I don't know what kind of church it is, but it's on the corner close to there. And there was this whole ceremony where everyone was holding candles. It was Saturday night on Easter weekend. They're holding candles and knocking at the door of the church. And uh, it was really something to, to watch it. And, and asking for the door to be open and no, the door's not going to be open. And I think the whole thing is like a vigil that lasts. Because we ended up you know, continuing on and I was just experiencing Easter from all these perspectives on the streets of Winnipeg back in, in 2010 or 11. And and then I get back where I'm living in this, I'm living in this huge, like a, you know, church like Quasimodo, <laughs> all by myself after having let go of pretty much everything except for the car that someone took a baseball that two, two days before I left on that journey. But that hadn't happened yet. It was like around that time it was going to. And I walk in and there's the Sudanese community. And they had been grieving. I'd, I had seen this already. They had been grieving uh, as a part of their ceremony that Easter just lasts for a really long time. Their kids are there and they just do their thing. And it's not this one hour thing where everyone's checking their watch. It's like this whole Easter weekend. And I went upstairs after a while and I heard them and they, they were some of them were weeping. And when it hit midnight, they rock in celebration like crazy. And so there's, it's, it's just, it was just an interesting weekend to witness different ritual and ceremony within my own tradition and to see it as something valuable and beautiful and rich. And, uh, and so this, this is a song uh, that I wrote kind of with Mary Magdalene in my heart. Uh, all the disciples, but especially the Apostle to the Apostles, who was there and never left the scene of the crucifixion in three of the, the canonical Gospels, uh, something that doesn't get emphasized in liturgy just about at all. <laughs> uh, and then the other Gospels that were found, uh, the Nagarani and Gospels of the Gospel of Thomas and Mary Magdalene, you're going to even see more and then, of course, she's the one at the tomb as well and is the first one to be uh, to bear witness to the resurrection. And so, of course, I have all of these uh, friends of Jesus in my heart when I'm saying it, but particularly her. Um, I was very happy uh, to see that, that Pope Francis gave her a feast this year that is likened to the other feasts that the, the other disciples get. So that took, you know, over 2,000 years. <laughs> um, but I was just happy to see that because uh, there's more to that than meets the eye, I think. It's over now. And we are lost in a dead 
This is when we open up the virtual guitar case. Pass around the virtual collection plate. If you like what we're doing here, think about throwing some money in. We do this because we love it, but we also love our families. The hours we put into this podcast are hours we owe to them. They freed us up to do this work. Help us give something back. Throw in a 20, throw in a dollar, it's all good. Click on the Patreon link. You can make a one-time donation, or you can commit to something regular. Even something small but regular makes a big difference. Regular contributions mean a regular gig for this artist and this preacher. It lets us chase the dream and not the dollar. Enough said. Back to the reason you're here and we're here today. So like I said, it took me a while. I wasn't about to write uh, an inauthentic Easter song, so I just wrote it out for a number of years <laughs> uh, until this came. And 
And uh, I think it wasn't until I could see, I mean, I honestly, I'll just be honest. There's still mornings where I wake up and I have to shake off shame. And a part of it, I have a friend who wrote a book called The Sacred Wound. And it's um, basically addressing spiritual trauma. Uh, and it's something that's starting to be talked about, but it's something that nobody's talked about as well. Um, just this idea that, you know, when you're a little, when you're really little, being told that God can't look at you is quite damaging, I think, <laughs> in many ways. Maybe some of you might just be fine with that, but for me, uh, it was very damaging. I felt like uh, I was responsible for a lot, and I carried it pretty deeply for a long time. And uh, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's not a, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like with Adam and Eve and their coming-of-age story imposing that upon a five-year-old or a six-year-old and, and giving them the knowledge of, of good and evil uh, at such a young age can be um, something that you're asking them to carry and become aware of, I guess. And so... Um, it took me a while to find this because I needed to reconcile with a different idea of, uh, of God. <laughs> because uh, to me, like, Jesus was okay, but God was not okay, and it felt schizophrenic and strange, and that I was in a lightning bolt for being blocked <laughs> um, by Jesus and, and all of that. So... Um, I had to I had to work that out, and that's a kind of theology you don't work out in your head. It's a theology you work out as you live. And um, I think when my niece and nephew were born, I just knew. I walked the Stations of the Cross on a silent retreat in Kentucky. Um, around the same time, I was dealing with a lot of brokenness, and I heard, and I don't hear the voice. <laughs> really <laughs> but I did hear I love you as much as I love Simon and Sophie my niece and nephew and so that was like my hallelujah really because I you know I think there's a lot of people who have suffered spiritual trauma who are afraid to die because they're afraid to meet <laughs> who they've perceived you know it's hard to reconcile all of that so so that's how this came about. <laughs> Revealed. The heart of 
these 50 days of Easter, there's this thing called Pentecost. And I was thinking about it when I, I played uh, last night at uh, just uh, a little concert in the, in the chapel at, Saint, at All Saints, at St. Benedict's Table. And I, and, uh, I also played uh, in Saskatchewan on the way here. And my husband does um, uh, cultural programming in schools. And so we're kind of on a little mini family tour, keeping it real. And, um, and so as I was thinking about the set list for what I was going to do for these, these concerts, I thought, you know, here we have this calendar and we tell this narrative and then it's sort of like after Pentecost moves into ordinary time and then back around, we do, you know, all hollows and, and then move back into Advent again. But with this implication of Pentecost, which I'm going to play a song using the words of uh, St. Paul, where, where, like, we participate, <laughs> um, there's something maybe that we need to consider if we're, if, if we're going to move forward with this liturgical calendar at all, um, where we maybe need a confession piece within it. Because here we, we, we're left hanging with this Pentecost thing, and then we don't really say, oh, and then we went over here and slaughtered a bunch of people, and colonialism happened, and... Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And not to be a total downer, but at the same time, if we're going to tell the story of the church, maybe we do need to have that part of it. And it's not the only part of it, but maybe that's what's missing <laughs> from the whole thing so that we can come back around and re you know, look at Pentecost again uh, from, from eyes that are... You know, from settler eyes, from, you know, there's so many things we could say, but. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to play this. It's a chant uh, that I wrote using St. Paul's words. And I, I have to say that because I've played it before and people have said, you know, that's a little presumptuous, this, these lines. <laughs> I'm like, well. Paul said it. <laughs> it's like, oh, phew, I'm glad that I picked his words. <laughs> so I'm going to play this, and then I'm going to play a song kind of right afterwards, uh, just to give it some tension. I wrote the, the next song after this with a fella uh, who teaches at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And um, we love co-writing together. I love I actually love co-writing songs. I haven't done in a while, but um, a number of years ago, he and I got together to write. I was in Boston, and I said, he, he just said, well, do you want to do something sort of typical? He, he'd had covers by Alison Krauss and stuff like that, and, you know, where we write pop, like a pop bluegrass song for Alison Krauss or something, and I was like, not today. You know, uh, I had heard some really hard news, actually, uh, from back home, where um, I, I grew up as a biological child in a foster home. And so uh, I'm, I grew up seeing, being sort of haunted by particularly First Nation mothers' faces in my house, not feeling worthy enough to enter the front door. 
coming to visit their children. And I have a personal connection to this narrative that white people come and take your kids. And it's pretty deep in there. When I, I, last, uh, last week, um, a friend of mine, who's, she's an Anglican priest in Edmonton, discovered she, you know, in the last couple of years, discovered she has Métis roots. And it really um, answered a lot of questions for her and her identity. And she has gone really deeply into the truth and reconciliation work. And she and an elder, this woman, came to visit because they wanted myself and Ian to be a part of an installation project they're doing on 118th Ave in, in uh, Edmonton. Interestingly, where we're going to be moving. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I played this song, the, the, the song I'm going to play after the chant for them. And the elder had to go out and bless Mother Earth with tobacco <laughs> um, and have a big cry because it's her, um, her story. And then she came back in and blessed me. So I just want to let you know, I, I haven't played this song pretty much ever, except for the last two concerts because I didn't feel, who am I to sing it, right? Um, but the day that we wrote it, I became uh, the grandmother for about three hours and spoke in the first person, and then became the granddaughter and spoke in the first person. And the granddaughter is someone I had met who was in her 70s, and um, at the time, and that was probably 15 years ago now. So there's my preamble. We'll sing this chant, and then I, I would like to see the next song you won't be able to sing along to it, but I want to see it as a, in the spirit of confession. So. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in the Lord. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also with the Lord. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. 
Your sister there with you, your mother, my daughter, close by. Straight jet black hair, 
Psalms are uh, still relevant and, and uh, important. Uh, they're definitely over a 2,000-year-old tradition, <laughs> uh, to the point where I actually imagine Jesus chanting them from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, uh, because that would have been his tradition, to, to chant from. So it just thinking about ways in which we can bring more dimension to these, even our own stories, that brings dimension to that 
story, just imagining that it's a, that it was a chant. Um, because I really do think that music, whether in a religious context or whatever, it has this ability to give us uh, give us the language that our hearts are yearning to, to speak uh, when we don't have the words. And so that's kind of why I imagine that it was chanted. And um, I just think it's fitting to do this after that song um, because, you know, you can feel pretty low and pretty bad after a song like that because, you know, um, we're connected to that story. We are. <laughs> uh, but this is kind of fitting because it's um, it's implying that, that God is always with all of us. So. I might just do it. I play it on the piano normally, so we'll just do it a cappella. If I ascend to heaven, you are there, O oh God. And if I make my bed in hell, still you are with me. If I ascend to heaven, you are there, O oh God. And if I make my bed in hell, still you are with me. If I ascend to heaven, you are there, O oh God. And if I make my bed in hell, still you are with me. If I ascend to heaven, you are there, O oh God. And if I make my bed in hell, still you are with me. a couple more and then um, if you want me to play another one after that it's called an encore and uh, and uh, what I would play after that is I have this other album called Sanctuary that I released last this past September and I worked with um, a fellow who wrote a book called Merton's Palace of Nowhere and he's um, his name is James Finley <laughs> He's 73, and he's one of the teachers at uh, the Living School where I attended with Richard Rohr and Cynthia Bergeau. And he, uh, James Finley read uh, a book by Thomas Merton when he was 14 years old at his Catholic high school in Akron, Ohio. And uh, it's called The Sign of Jonas. It was a book of journals. And uh he was determined after that to go to the Abbey of Gethsemane and become a monk. And he did. And uh, he comes, James comes from a, a very abusive childhood. His father was an alcoholic and he was uh, very abusive. And he uh, lived at the Abbey of Gethsemane for, I think, close to eight years. And Thomas Merton was, uh, was his... Um, spiritual director and his teacher because he was a novice. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with Thomas Merton, most of you probably are, I don't know. Um, 
he was a Trappist monk uh, who converted at the age of 26 and kind of had a past in all of this and uh, became, uh, I would say, someone who, uh, this could sound kind of big words or whatever, but democratized uh, monasticism so that all of us could have more access to it. So in the sense that we could live in an intentional way and sort of similar to what they were, uh, they were up to uh, behind the walls. And so that's not all he did. Uh, if you get a chance to watch, I just did an interview with, uh, with a uh, documentarian, Morgan Atkinson, who has done two Thomas Martin documentaries. The last one is called The Many Stories and Last Days of Thomas Merton. And it's the 1968, the last year of his life, which was just that year in America and all around the world was pretty insane. If we think that this year, <laughs> 2016 was insane, 1968 was insane. There was a, a Quaker couple who ran a retreat in Atlanta, Georgia, who were trying to organize a meeting between Thomas Merton, Martin Luther King Jr., and Thich Nhat Hanh, who was uh, exiled out of Vietnam and was no nominated by Martin Luther King Jr. for the Nobel Peace Prize. And that meeting was supposed to take place, they were talk, having talks about it in March 1968, when Martin Luther King was assassinated in April, on April 4th. And then Thomas Merton, that December, um, was able to go to a conference in uh, Bangkok, Thailand, and had done a, a number, a series of travels throughout um, Asia, and met with the Dalai Lama, who was quite young at the time, and the Dalai Lama's in this documentary, they got to interview him, and he said, very important, very important, the meeting between Thomas Merton and himself. He said, closer relationship. And so really, as they were symbols of the meeting between East and West in a friendly manner, uh, and really started all of that ecumenical language that has kind of gotten a little bit dusty, but uh, I think it can come alive uh, again, and I think it is. But I just think it's very fascinating that that conversation never took place. And I've held it ever since I found that out as I'm researching for this Thomas Merton album that I'm doing. Um, I've held it in my heart uh, a lot, just thinking about what they might have said. Um, and just knowing that I'm go dig digging through these archives and discover this and that they had uh, there, he, he wrote letters with Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama and with Martin Luther King and Lawrence Ferlinghetti and all of these people um, and just was quite, quite the guy. <laughs> um, I don't even know where I started or why I started talking about that, but it felt good. So... <laughs> Oh, I know why. I'm going to play you a song at the end if you ask me for another one. Um, <laughs> from Sanctuary, Exploring the Healing Path. James Finley eventually left the, the Abbey of Gethsemane and became a clinical psychologist. 
and he explored uh, where clinical or depth psychology and uh, the contemplative traditions, what they have in common. And he was very, and always has been, and still is interested in what spirituality has to say for healing. And, and always worked with people who wanted spirituality to be a part of the process of healing. So we made an album with spoken word and chant, and I composed for a children's choir who uh, represent the inner child, and I composed for a cellist. And so that it's, it's a unique project, but I have it here as well, and so I'll play one of, one of those. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is gonna be, uh, this is a Mike Scott song. Because I, I wanted to find a song where we could get closer than close uh, in the language. And I was like, well, I don't know, do you, I don't think people want me to bring Rumi into this because he's a Sufist and everyone will think I'm nuts from <laughs> lots of people. Um, but Rumi, to me, gets as close, as close, as close, as close. You, it really, un unity. <laughs> um, but Mike Scott wrote this uh, from the Water Boys, and I thought, I can't write it better, so I'll just, I'll just do this one. Yeah. 
every breath is yours. Thank you. So I'm going to wrap up that arc with, um, I started with that, Behold, I make all things new, which I call Alpha. And this is Behold, I make all things new, Omega. And this song, uh, I just, like three or four days ago, I got a, a, an email from someone who um, was walking with her husband. Uh, he had um, Alzheimer's. And he just just passed away this past week. And for the last year and a half or so, they've kind of been sending me emails and saying, we're working with this material, this working with these songs, and it's giving us a lot of comfort. Um, and I've probably received about 12 emails over the last year and a half where people have used this uh, as people are passing. Like, I didn't intend for it to be that way, but I also didn't intend for it to be too um, fluffy, although it's very positive and a beautiful phrase. Uh, so I guess within that context, it's just, it's um, new. Sometimes new things are hard. <laughs> Sometimes becoming new is, is hard. And uh, But I feel like it's, Trusting in it just brings a lot of hope. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Marcus, for organizing this, and Jen, and um, and Emily for singing my song, <laughs> and uh, all of you for coming, and to my kids who are out in the maybe in the double stroller with my husband <laughs> and my husband. <laughs>
in this album that I made, Sanctuary, uh, where I, I composed for this children's choir that play the inner child, um, they show up three times. Uh, and it's in this sort of succession where it's an initial encounter with your inner child, that you, the first conversation you might have as a grown-up to your child, inner child. Maybe you wrote a letter, you know, maybe there was something that didn't happen that should have, and you kind of reenact it and all of that. But um, this is a, in the middle where they show up, and it's, <clears throat> you're going to have to just sort of bear with it, because uh, at the beginning, there's some, a, a bit of negative self-talk. And I'm going to do, uh, try my best at doing James Finley's spoken word. He has this deep voice and has the ability to transmit <laughs> presence <laughs> like I, I've never met. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll try. And uh, your part is, I believe you, I believe you. So every time I sing something, uh, you sing that back, and you're, you're the child. <laughs> watching over, that your life doesn't matter. precious nature of yourself. You can be one with the world in that way. 
ferment you are too thanks for listening until next time breathe consciously and with love eat consciously and with love tend the creation attend the divine and name the real consciously and with love peace and all good